Are there any good-looking podcast listeners out there tonight? Soccer dude, rockin' America. He doesn't know soccer, but he's gonna talk about soccer dude, rockin' America. Tactical analysis. Transfer news. Unlikely. Hey, that's not what I wrote. I don't really care. We're going with it now. All right. Soccer new back in America. America. Soccer new. Featuring person. Talking about soccer lots. Hello and welcome to episode 112 of Soccer Noob Rock in America, featuring my co-host and daughter, your star, Person Noob. Hello! Together we bring you mini previews of the most important and intriguing matches from around the world. As we define that, and that's going to be different than most shows you're going to find. Now, example, obviously we're going to be covering the World Cup, multiple matches from that, in fact. But we're also keeping tabs on leagues that are still in play and other tournaments from around the world, men's and women's alike. Plus, we've got lots of great segments. Hopefully, you'll find them funny, character-driven things, soccer and not soccer-related alike. When it comes to the soccer, this week's matches will be covering those from Friday through Thursday, December 2nd through 8th. With no further ado, let's dive right in with... March number one! Our first match falls on Friday, and it is from the last day of World Cup group stage play. So before we get into that, for burgeoning or newer fans of the sport, what exactly comes next after the group stage? Well, here to help with precisely that is my daughter, Professor Person Noob, with another of her delightful and informative Teachable Moment segments. Students, attention, please. So World Cup group stage is over. What now? Well, it's been said you can't know where you're going unless you know where you've been. The group stage consisted of 32 teams, divided in groups of four. Within each group, the teams played a single round robin. The top two teams got to advance to the knockout round of 16. So the teams left alive were placed in the NCAA basketball-like bracket. From here on out, it's in or go home. Finishing first versus second place in your group was a big deal. First place winners got randomly drawn to face second place winners from some other group for this round. Going forward, there will no longer be draws determining who winners get to play. The bracket is set. For example, the U.S. finished second in their group. In the round of 16, they play the Netherlands, winners of their group. One of them will move on to play the of the Argentina-Australian match, no matter which teams win. Enjoy the match. Go America and class dismiss. Outstanding job as always, daughter dearest. And now let's take a look at a match from the very last day of World Cup group stage qualifying. The one we're going to focus on, you can catch on Universo or FS1 at 10 a.m. Eastern time here in the U.S., In this particular group, it is current second place Ghana taking on number four and last place Uruguay. But because they didn't lose their first two matches, they are not out of it. Now, Portugal, they won their first two matches. They have six points. They are going to advance as a top two finisher. That is mathematically guaranteed. 
Ghana, they have three points. They will only automatically advance if they can get a win this day. But if they only get a draw, that does, uh, doesn't mean they're not moving on. It will be uh, in large part based on the result of the other match in this group. Your other two combatants, Korea and Uruguay, each have one point. Korea lead Uruguay on goal differential. To have any shot at advancing, Uruguay, as you would guess, must have a win this match. And that won't even necessarily guarantee that they'll get to move forward. They'll still potentially have to overtake Korea if South Korea upset Portugal and get three points there. All right, let's talk about the teams. Ghana, they are known as the Black Stars and ranked number 61 worldwide by FIFA. It's great that they're in second place because this is the lowest rank of all the teams that made the entire event, including the five from the uh, Confederation in Africa. This is a team, though, that is not unused to success, at least historically. They've won four AFCON titles. That's the African National Team Championships. But they haven't hoisted that trophy in exactly 40 years. Now, 2021, a little less successful. They finished in last place in that event in their group of four, including falling behind the Cinderella darlings of that tournament, the tiny country of Comoros. So they are just now starting to hit some solid form, really for the first time in a long time. In fact, they didn't even qualify for the 2018 World Cup. Now, they did make the three before that. They're only ever appearances. And in 2010, they did get all the way to the quarterfinals. How did they qualify? Well, they went into the qualifying event in Africa, ranked seventh out of all those nations. They topped number 13, South Africa, by goals scored, one of the deep tiebreakers in that event. And then they had to beat number three, ranked Nigeria, on penalty kicks after a 1-1 draw after the first 90-plus minutes in the playoff round, essentially, to actually get into the World Cup. Here in this event, they beat South Korea 2-3 to three after blowing a nil-two lead. What a comeback. Before that, they were competitive uh, with Portugal and lost 2-3 to three to them. So, uh, maybe for excitement's sake, we can expect another high-scoring match. Key players to look for, Mohamed Kudus. He's their midfielder, 22 years old, plays for Ajax over in the Netherlands, one of their three major powers. He's been strongly linked to a move to Everton in the Premier League for quite a while. But don't count out one of the top teams, Liverpool, from what I've read, have been tracking him as well. He's already made 20 national team caps since 2019. So despite his young age, he is not devoid of experience. And then... For Arsenal, Thomas Partey, he's another midfielder, more of a defensive midfielder, to be perfectly honest. He's only got two goals on the league season, but he's the sort of guy that really kickstarts the beginning of their offensive threats. He's an excellent passer and dribbler both. Actually started his senior career with Atletico Madrid, and a little fun side note on him, on him, rather, he is a chief of the Manya Krobo people of Eastern Ghana, Ghana, uh, honorarily after captaining a team to the World Cup. Uh, team's current form, they are 2-0-2 in September and November friendlies coming into this event. And now, Uruguay, they have to be your favorites. They are La Celeste, the sky blue, ranked number 14 by FIFA, so quite a bit higher in the seating. Uh, they were the third best ranked of the four Conmobile teams, that's the South American Confederation, that got here. They've won two World Cup titles, but they were back in 1930 and 1950. They haven't been past the quarterfinals since and including 2018. So they've made it multiple times, and 2018 was a pretty good version for them. 
They have won 15 Copa America titles. That's the South American Championships. 2011 was the only one that they won this century, though. Not really surprising. Brazil and Argentina, of course, really dominate continental affairs down there. They qualified for this event as the number three finisher in the CONMEBOL qualification tourney. Uh, they entered as the number six FIFA ranked team. So they slid down a little bit because of some other results. Uh, but at that point, they were actually ranked a little bit ahead of Argentina. They went in as the number two. Ooh, you'll find out later why we shouldn't say that on this show. <laughs> Seed in the tournament. And they finished way behind the top two, but two points ahead of surprising Ecuador that also qualified. In that qualification tournament, they had a very average offense going and defense, to be perfectly honest. Uh, they kept things relatively low scoring. Here in the World Cup, they played South Korea to a nil-nil draw and then lost 2-0 to Portugal. Tied for second best in the scoring for the qualification event. No surprise here, Luis Suarez. He's often not in the conversation for best player of his generation, but I think people would be hard-pressed to say he is not the uh, overwhelming favorite for third behind Messi and Ronaldo. Striker, 35 years old, one of the all-time greats. He has left Europe and gone back home here in the twilight of his career to represent for one of the big teams in his home country, Nasi and all. Spent the heart of his career with Barcelona, scoring almost 150 goals while he was there. Uh, his resume is just impeccable. Impeccable. Also played for Ajax, Liverpool, Atletico Madrid. But casual football fans might remember him, if for little else other than being a fairly good player. I think on three different occasions, he kind of pulled a Mike Tyson, or maybe Mike Tyson pulled a Luis Suarez, and he has bitten people. Yikes. Hopefully he's uh, a little bit better medicated these days. Another key player to look for, Edison Cavani. He's another guy that typically plays striker in league play. 35 years old, another veteran. 200 appearances with PSG in the French League for a very long time and won six league titles over there. He's actually now with Valencia over in La Liga in Spain. He will probably not play a pure striker role. They will leave that to Suarez because it is Cavani who tracks back better on defense. So let's expect him to play in a supporting striker role or maybe even slip back a little bit further into a winger position. And by the way, we do have a couple of USA connections with this team. Martin Casares is a defender for LA Galaxy. And then Facundo Torres, a winger who uh, was one of the big stars for Orlando this year, just 22 years old, possibly looking to see him making a move to Arsenal over in the Premier League for next season. This team's current form coming into the Cup, they were 3-1-1 in their recent friendlies, including a nil-nil draw at United States. Match number B. In case you're a new listener to the program, here's what happened earlier when I said match number Oh, ho, ho. not doing that again. That sounder is once per episode at most enough for me, the management. I shall not fall into that trap again. Uh, we don't believe in using that phrase typically. We find it uncouth. It's bathroom talk, quite frankly. Now, there are bigger, nobler causes in the world curing things and world peace and whatnot, but we're trying to do our little part in this small way by replacing that phrase in your life with number B. 
Listen to it in action. Match number B is another Friday match from Uganda's Premier League, which is the number 18 ranked league in all of Africa. So only their champion will get to go to the Champions League. You have to be in the top 12 in their coefficient rankings to send two teams. And they're about a third of the way through the season in Uganda, where we have number B, BUL, taking on number one, Wakiso Giants. Uh, the Giants currently lead BUL by one. BUL in turn lead number three Vipers by just one on goal differential. So a lot of season to go, but a very dramatic race so far. And by the way, BUL and VIP both have a, Vipers, I should say, both have a match in hand on Wakiso. So this is even closer than it looked at first glance. We'll talk about the host first, as is traditional for us in BUL, a moderately young club. They were founded in uh, 2006. Uh, the crest is just wonderful. I, I can't. I don't have it in front of me, so I don't have the colors in mind. I think they were green and white. But out in the forefront of that is just the outline drawing of a bull's head, and it looks like it's popping out of the crest. And uh, until you zoom in on it on a screen, he looks decidedly confused. And if you zoom in on it a little bit or look at a larger version. The bull looks still confused or stupefied, but also somewhat agitated about the whole thing. I asked on Twitter what people thought the expression might that uh, exactly represent. I couldn't put my finger on it. And, oh, I'm going to wish I hadn't used that phrase because the one answer uh, that we did get from me of the Brian and me podcast on that really hit the nail on the head. In fact, the bull looks constipated. So B-U-L-F-C, Google it up. I promise you it is good for a chortle. The full name of the club is BIDCO, well, which is in itself an acronym, B-I-D-C-O, BIDCO Uganda Limited Jinja Football Club. They are also known as just B-U-L Jinja FC. Naturally, we're just going with B-U-L. BIDCO, by the way, is a, a corporation that makes a lot of food and household and personal care uh, products for uh, Africa and parts of Asia. That's located there in the city of Jinja, which is on uh, in the eastern part of the country on the north shore of Lake Victoria, city of about 300,000. Uh, for those of you who might know the geography a little bit, that's about 50 miles east of Kampala, which is the capital. Uh, it's a very touristy area for uh, outdoor enthusiasts. And there's a fair bit of industry there because of the Owens Fall Dam. Lake Victoria, I mean, there's a reason there's establishments all over it. You get a lot of uh, natural electricity production there. They're very easy to do. They play in a stadium that only has a capacity of about a thousand people. Give you a little perspective in that regard. Uh, the name of it is Kayabazinga Stadium Bugembe. I think I got that right. Uh, they won last year's FA Cup, by the way, so they're not completely without success in their past. Last year, they finished in fourth place. They lost to Future FC out of Egypt this year in the first qualifying round of the Confederations Cup, which is a secondary international tournament, kind of like the Europa League there in Africa. And that is the only international appearance that they have ever made. Statistically, in league play, there's no doubt why this team is doing so well. The offense and the defense are both excellent and very well balanced. They're only giving up a goal every other match on average, and they're getting one and three quarters goals per match. As you would imagine, they've got the number one goal differential. Team's current form, where their only loss came two matches ago against uh, number five Express, nil one. I think that was a home loss, but still not a terrible one by any means. 
Now, Wakiso Giants, they are known as the Purple Sharks. Very young club, founded in 2018. Do not play the baby shark music. The management, we talked about this last time. No, no, no. It's cliche. It's outdated. It's annoying. I'm getting in my headpiece that I could use all those adjectives for this show. That's not nice to management. We've been friends a long time. I guess I have to take it. This club was in the eastern part of the country, but even though it's a very young one, they've now already moved once to the central part of the nation, and they've already been sold one time. They now play in Wakiso Town, 90,000, which is kind of sort of a suburb of Kampala. Uh, it's in the very far northwest of the greater metropolitan area. Part of what is considered the Kampala district surrounds one of the suburbs proper. Uh, last year, they finished in seventh place. Pretty decent. This is a very big league, but this is somewhat rarefied air for them. Uh, this year, the offense is where their bread is being buttered. It's not the highest scoring league in the world. They're only getting one and one-thirds goal per match, but that's still number three. And then they've got a top six defense. That, believe it or not, uh, is all you get for allowing less than one goal per match. Overall, they've got the number four goal differential. I don't think the Giants are going to compete for the league title, but I think they are going to be at least flirting with the idea for the better part of the season. Team's current form, well, their only loss so far was in their opener, and that was versus number four, KCCA. Match number three. Friday isn't nearly so chock full of matches that make our final cut as it is for this particular episode. We've got a heck of a race going on in Indonesia. Now, I know that's a phrase I like to use, but the Liga won. How competitive is it so far? Just over a third of the way through their season. Let me put it this way. We normally look for top two matchups. This is a number five versus number three, and it is still every bit as important as good as any of the other matches that we're going to cover, at least in terms of where it's being played. Now, the Indonesia Liga won the top flight. There is the 25th ranked league in all of Asia. They do not get to send their team, their champion, to the Champions League. In Asia, they run things a little bit differently. If you're... Uh, Close to halfway or further down the overall rankings for the leagues, you send your champion instead to the AFC Cup. So that way it's a bit more competitive. There's a pretty big gap between the top uh, maybe dozen countries or so and the rest of Asia in terms of money, the importance of the sport, things like that. Your matchup, number five, Bali United, playing host to number three, PSM, Makassar. Makassar currently lead Bali by just one in the table, and they also only trail number one, Borneo Samarinda, by one. In fact, the top six teams in this league are all within two points of one another. And I don't care, even if they're only through like 60% of the season, that's as good and tight a race as you're ever going to see. By the way, Makassar have a match in hand against all of them, except for, I believe, number six, uh, Persija Jakarta. So with any kind of result, Makassar will definitely be moving up the table. It is a team that is going to buy for the league title. Do we think that Bali could do the same thing? Let's take a look at them first. They're known as the Tridatu Warriors. I hope I'm getting the pronunciation right there. Now, if you're familiar with that term, uh, it may be from one culture or not another. Tridatu is a word with several different, somewhat related or similar meanings through a variety of Asian cultures. Here in this case, specific to Balinese philosophy, 
the three colors in it are what are important. Uh, white is said to awaken goodness in one's spirit. The red evokes both creativity and bravery, while the black is synonymous uh, with uh, power or specifically protection from bad spirits. Now, uh, more broadly, if you uh, are a practitioner or know much about Hindu or Buddhist cosmology, you'll be probably more familiar with the term in in the sense of a more traditional triune uh, ideas, heaven, earth, hell, past, present, future, stuff like that. All right. The club was founded in 2015 under this name. They were actually rebranded from their previous name, Putra Samarinda, which was founded in 1989. They won the league title twice and they are your defending champions. They even made the AFC Cup group stage in 2018. Now, the defense is only top six in the league. It's really not much above average, but they only give up a little bit more than one goal per game, typically. This is just a league that you don't get a lot of goals for the most part. Their offense is one of the very few good ones, though. They do get two goals per match on average. Number three scorer in the league is there's the boast of. He's netted seven so far. Elia Spasozovic. Uh, central midfielder, 35 years old. Uh, he played for Makassar, actually, a decade ago. Internationally, he represents for Indonesia, but he is not, I can't remember if he's not born there or if he has parental lineage uh, in Montenegro, but he repped early in his career at a youth level for their national team before switching over to Indonesia. And he only made a couple of senior uh, team uh, appearances between 2017 and 19. Number one in assists in the league with six is Fadil Sausu, Indonesian central midfielder, 37 years old, something of a lifer. He's been here since 2014. Team's current form, they have lost two straight matches, and both of those teams were to clubs outside the top six that we spoke of. So are they fading a little bit? Could be. Do Makassar have what it takes to put them in their place, even though it's going to be in Bali? Let's talk about them. They're known as the Redfish or the Roosters of the East, both the things that I would like to eat. They are in the southwest part of the country, uh, number five size in the country as far as their overall metro area. 1.5 million in the city proper, double that for the greater metro area. It's a major port, and they've got a really cool crest. After you look up the BUL one from the match earlier, uh, go ahead and check out the Pincy ship that is sketched in black against a red background. It is very, very sleek. I think that the team, I don't know if I would want to eat it. They are ugly, nasty creatures. But rather than redfish or roosters of the east, what they should be really nicknamed is the sea cucumbers. That is a really serious uh, agricultural. I don't know if you would really call it that. It's something they fish for or go out to sea to catch, obviously, uh, by name. And it's a really important export from this region and from Northwest Australia. This club is ranked just inside the top 150 in the ASC. Lend you a little perspective there. They have won five league titles domestically, but they were all during the amateur era of the club play. Most recent trophy they got from league play was in 1991-92. They've been getting close in recent years, though. 2017-18 and then the preceding year, they finished in third and second place, respectively. And in 2000-2001, they played in the Champions League, and made the quarterfinals best they've ever done. One of five Champions League appearances. So this is a league that used to be ranked a little bit higher. This year in the Champions League, they made the zonal finals. Uh, that's the final six, basically, of the AFC Cup. And that is the best of the three appearances that they've ever had in that event. Last year in the league, it was definitely not their year. They only finished in 14th place. 
They got to the AFC Cup, I'm sure, by winning the FA Cup instead of their poor league performance. They are undefeated this year, but they do have four draws, which is quite a bit this early on. Their defense is where they're really shining. They've only given up six goals in 10 matches. Their offense, it's right about average. They get about one and three quarters goals per match. But that defense is so good that they're actually tied for first place in goal differential. This is a team that I think can get a result on the road against Bali. Their team's scoring leader who has four goals on the year is Jakob Sayuri, Indonesian right winger. He's also got three assists. So if Bali can shut him down, that's really going to be the best chance that they have of getting a win there at home, I think. Team's current form, they're unbeaten in their last five, but the last two of those were draws, and just like their opponents with their losses, both against non-top six clubs. So maybe they're fading a little bit as well. Match number four. Finally, we flip the calendar page to Saturday, and we return to the World Cup. The group stage will then be done, and it is on to the round of 16, where the USA will take on the Netherlands as underdogs. Now, I know that you veteran fans in particular get your USMNT deep dive information from other sources, and that's good. We're a nice change of pace podcast is how we've been described. But what we do have that I don't think anyone else does is a report from goalkeeper and former captain Matt Turner, sort of. He uh, has his own Twitter account as Matt Turner's Rebellion. The specific uh, Twitter handle is C-A-P-T Matt Turner. Let's see what he has to tell us about the state of our union's soccer soldiers in Qatar as he serves on the back lines for old glory for his countrymen and in defense of the states. Dearest mother, I apologize for it having been so many moons since I last wrote. Does the desert moon here look so different than risen back home? The bitter night cold here drives the question from my mind, particularly with no drink allowed to warm the bones. Yet, of course, scorching run the days, hot like the three relentless battles we recently faced. The first two did not end with glorious victory nor ignominious defeat. We finally achieved victory in the third, but a battle won does not mean the war ended here. Next, we faced the dishonorable Dutch. Humanity has not forgotten how they oppressed the world for years on end with the love of spices. I can hear the sands calling for their blood. All here are men of true honor, and we will vie to spill the first. Most likely, it will be our middle lines which unman them the most. Privates McKinney, Musa, and Captain Adams have earned their fame on the battlefield. The most severe question we face is the health of our front lines hero, Christian Pulisic. Forgive the description, honored mother, but his terrywags took the brunt of damage so fiercely that he ended up leaving for the field hospital. Will we see him for the greatest fight yet? Ah, only time and his pelvic contusions will tell. Come what may, Saturday, I shall return to you ere long, after the leaves have fallen from their tender sprigs.
your loving son, Matthew Turner. I don't know about you, but I found that to be rich, rewarding, and completely historically accurate. And now let's take a look at the Netherlands side of things. They are the number eight ranked team in the entire world. Uh, the fifth best team that qualified for the World Cup out of Europe. They actually missed the last one, 2018. They finished in second and third place, though, in 2010 and 2014. They have made a roaring return. Uh, they won the European championships all the way back in 1988. A little bit of a surprise to me that they haven't picked up more trophies than that at the Euros. Uh, 2020, most recent iteration, they did make the round of 16. And then more recently, in a little bit of a lesser international tournament here, of their Nations League, they did win League A from their group uh, with a 5-1-0 record. We'll get into the particulars of uh, how that's all organized at different time. They qualified for this World Cup by winning their six-club qualification group by two points over Turkey with an impressive 33-8 and eight goal differential in 10 matches. Basically won everything by a 3-1 to one score or a little better. Yikes. Tied for number one in event scoring from those qualifications with 12 goals was Memphis Depay, a forward for Barcelona. He's also been with Man United and Lyon. And if you like the hippity-hop music, and who doesn't really, uh, he's done a number of releases of his own. He is known as a bit of a ball hog, though, and a little bit of a temperamental player. So even if you're not looking for him, he may make himself seen, so to speak. In their group, they went 2-1-0 and with a 5-1 goal differential, and they bested Senegal for first place by one point. Tied for number one in the World Cup scoring with three goals is their superstar, Cody Gakpo, winger, just 23 years old. He's been with PSV Eindhoven all the way back since his youth career started in 2007. He's got 12 national team caps starting last year. Uh, he likes to challenge his opponents with his speed and dribbling to create his own shots. He's got a little Christian Pulisic to him, in my opinion. That should be a really fun matchup to watch. He's been linked to a number of Premier League uh, clubs' possible moves. Uh, Arsenal, I think, is the most credible one, but there have been others within the Premier League and La Liga, for that matter, who are all interested, and they're only 23 years old. Why not? Team's current form, they have not lost any of their matches in calendar year 2022. Match number five. More Saturday action in time for a key matchup from the women's side of things, the Frauen Bundesliga of Germany. It's the second best ranked league in all of Europe. They get to send three teams to the Champions League, one to the group stage, one to the first and second qualifying rounds, respectively, and they're a little bit over a third of the way through their season. Your matchup, number one, VFL Wolfsburg, taking on number B, Eintracht Frankfurt. Wolfsburg currently lead them by four, so Eintracht probably... Well, I mean, they're going to play one more time this year, but they better get some kind of result because seven points is going to be a lot to make up. There's not always a lot of parity in some of the better women's leagues. Uh, history is not exactly on Frankfurt's side here. Wolfsburg in recent season, they've accrued a 10-0-0 record, really giving them some black eyes. You can actually catch this on television here stateside on CBS Sports Network, 7 a.m. Eastern time. Enjoy with your breakfast. We start out discussing Wolfsburg, founded in 2003 and known as the She-Wolves. 
They are the fourth-ranked club in all of uh, Europe currently. UEFA actually considered them the best club on the continent between 2013 and 18. That overlapped with sort of overlapped rather with the advent of Lyon from over in France that has been so good for so darn long. Uh, they've won two Champions League titles in the past. 2013-14 was the most recent one. Last year, they got thumped in the second leg of a two-legged home-and-away tie with Barcelona in the semifinal. But they did host hoist a trophy that year. They were the defending champs last year and have won a total of seven league titles. This year, they are a perfect 8-0-0, scoring over three goals per match. Believe it or not, uh, only having given up five goals in eight matches is only second best on defense in that league. Uh, Bayern Munich's pretty good, too. Tied for number one in league scoring with seven on the season is Eva Payor from Poland. She plays striker and has been here since 2014. She's also gotten 29 goals and 37 national team appearances. That's an outrageous and uh, excellent ratio. And now Frankfurt. They have also won seven league titles, which is, uh, I believe, tied for the most in the nation's history. But their most recent one was 2007-2008. They've actually won the Champions League title four times. Last time was 2014-15. This year, they lost in the first qualifying round final to Ajax. The first qualifying round is a four-team mini tournament. Last year in league, they finished in third place. This year, very well balanced, tied for number three on offense, and they have the third best defense. Uh, Good for overall number three goal differential. Even if they get a result today, I don't think they're going to compete with Wolfsburg for the title, but the battle for second place with Bayern Munich uh, still would make it a very excellent point for them to get here on the road. Number four league leading scorer tied for that honor uh, with five on the season is Laura Freigang. She plays center forward for them. She's also got 12 goals in her 17 national team appearances. Teams current form, they are undefeated and therefore not to be discounted, and they have won two straight matches. So now we've learned plenty about both teams, but do you still feel confident, even with that perfect record that Wolfsburg have over Frankfurt? gambling on the game. And let's face it, that's what a lot of sports is all about. Don't so many of us have kids we need to put through college rent or mortgages we need to pay. Well, even though we're pretty sure Wolfsburg should come out on top, uh, by how much or will there be an upset? There might be one way to know for sure. And to help you with that, we turn to our 3,500-year-old prognosticator, Noob Stradamus, for another drug-aided or drug-addled division, depending on how you want to look at it. How's this one going to go? Please take it away, oh mighty soothsayer. Greetings from Lower Saxony. Tis I. Noob, I did not receive your weekly payment of fresco or loose prescription pills this week. Just wanted that out of the way. Fortunately, I do not rely upon you for lotus leaf, so instrumental to my otherworldly visions. I am all smoked up and travel once again through space and time. The darkness lifts, and I am in the vision. Judging by my bleak surroundings, I believe I am deep in the recesses of a castle. Context washes over my holy mind. I'm an allied spy, but not an all-time great one, it seems, for I have been captured. I hear a pair of SS 
stormtroopers speaking outside, and I learn I am about to be brutally interrogated. But lo, out of hiding place suddenly appears a fellow prisoner, dying, offering me a loaded pistol and grenades. How on earth would he have come by such? I have no time to wonder. As the troopers enter, defensively dressed as they are, I know a grenade is necessary. Pull! Toss! I duck behind the other prisoner for a shield. I loot the corpses for keys and ammo, don one of their uniforms and set about to escape. Every third turn or room, it seems I'm ducking more stormtroopers or shooting guards. What a bloodbath! They surely do leave a lot of chests just lying around, but I'm grateful for the supplies inside. One had sausages and schnapps. What an odd place to keep food. I know to search for enemy battle plans while I'm here, but getting out is paramount. The next room has two platforms, marked with a two and an eight. Pretty on the nose, this vision. The darkness comes upon me once again, and then I awake from the vision. Noob, she-wolves will lose two to eight this day. I have seen, and I have spoken. Kitties seem to have only two things on their minds, sleep, and apparently in this case, being as they're clearly awake, they want a recap of last week's matches. We shall give it to them. Friday and Saturday were our first two matches, both World Cup events from the group stage. USA versus England went to 1-1. And then in another group, number B, Poland, in that table at the time, took on number one, Saudi Arabia. Poland won 2-0. Robert Lewandowski, their superstar, had both a goal and an assist. That moved Poland up to number one and the kingdom down to number three. Match number three from England's FA Cup second round match, Forest Green Rovers took on all the church, the lone team from the seventh level that was remaining this deep in the event, and they are no more. Uh, Forest Green Rovers got a 2-1 win for all the church. Guy we said to look for, Jed Albee did have the lone goal. Match number four from Georgia's Arab Newly Liga. Number three, Samgarali Skull Tubo took on number one, Dinamo Tbilisi, as their season winds down. The result was a 1-1 draw. Here's how things stand as they head to the very end. Dinamo Tbilisi, they now lead number B, Dinamo Batumi, by just one point. Meanwhile, there's a bit of a gap we have. Uh, so uh, Samgarali uh, Talskubo, Skultubo was not competing for the Champions League spot. They're trying to get one of the two remaining Europa Conference League spots, competing for that with still number four, De La Gori. But now Skultubo are only one point ahead of them. Match number five from the very tail end of Cambodia's Premier League, where things are really dramatic and exciting. Number one, Visaka took on number B, Phnom Penh Crown. The result was a win for the visiting crown, 2-3. So here's how things stand as they head into the last match of the season. Phnom Penh Crown, Vizaka, and Sve Rieng are all tied on points. Uh, crown and Vizaka are tied on goal differential, but actually head-to-head -head is the first tiebreaker. So here's how things stand. 
of Kate Busey, Phnom Penh Crown number one, Misaka number two, and Spey Ring Riang still number three. But again, things now tighter than ever. Moving on to Sunday, match number six from the Vietnamese FA Cup final. We really didn't know who was going to be competing in it at the time. We didn't have the finalists listed because of the timing of the semifinals. But we can now tell you that Hanoi beat Binh Binh 2-0. Now, Hanoi also won the V-League very recently. So they've already got a Champions League berth. The AFC Cup berth that was on the line, therefore, passes to the number three league finisher, which was binned in, the team that lost in the FA Cup final today. So trophies or at least international appearances for everyone.
match number six. You just heard about it in the recap, and now we're going to look at a key match from Cambodia's C-League in the final match of their regular season. By the way, this is just the number 31 ranked league in all of the AFC. The champion will get to go to the AFC Cup and have to win a playoff round match in order to get into the group stage proper. Phnom Penh Crown, Visaka, Sve Riang, as were mentioned, are your three. The tiebreaker is head-to-head points. Number three, Sve Riang is going to be playing host to number B, Visaka, to end the season. If all three teams are in a tie here on the last match day, it is Phnom Penh Crown that win. They don't have the best goal differential, but they have earned the most head-to-head points in this league. That is the tiebreaker that will be in play. Earlier in this double round Robin championship round, which has been the top four teams for the first phase of the season, when they played, Visaka won 1-0 at their place. Can they duplicate that success on the road? By the way, when they played in the regular season, they each won at the other team's place. So a road victory here is hardly out of the imagination. Sve Riang playing host, the full name of their club, Preya Khan Reach Sve Riang Football Club. I'm so glad that they allow us to shorten that up. They play in the capital of the Sveirieng province. Uh, the town of the same name has about 40,000 people in the southeast part of the nation. Uh, one thing that this would be famous for, it is where the Cambodian coconut dance has its origins. It's a Khmer people's dance. Uh, groomsmen will dance it at weddings and lots of people will dance it at uh, other festivities. And it is co-ed, men and women together. It's a very flirtatious and yet without being too over the top or uh, blue, if you will. I want to keep things uh, safe for person noobs ears. It's a it's a PG or at the very least PG-13 dance. Uh, the coconuts in that culture are oftentimes a sign of fertility or the shells uh, can represent the water and earth, uh, symbolizing the men and women who are taking part in the dance. I'm giving you lots of things to Google up and check out, aren't I? It's pretty neat. Look for one from the 1980s, and you'll see the one that I watched probably on YouTube. This team has won the league title twice, most recently 2019. The following year, 2020, they advanced to the AFC Cup group stage. Last year, they finished in second place in the league. They won the uh, regular season or first phase of this season before entering the champions round where they are now by six over Visaka. Overall in the season, they have had tied for the second best offense, getting two and a quarter goals per match. Number one defense, giving up just a little bit over a goal per and have the number one overall goal differential. So one would argue that they have been the best team and yet they're definitely going to be in search of a result here if they want to uh, wear that quote that I was going to say, quote unquote, but the crown that Phnom Penh crown seem in line to get. They're the team that actually have their destiny in their own hand. Key player to look for here. Number one score in the league. He is a Canadian Austrian dual national striker, 33 years old, Marcus Haber. Uh, between 2010 and 2013, he made 27 app appearances for the Canadian national team. 2009-2010, he made 40 appearances with Vancouver Whitecaps, or sort of a little whatever happened to segment if you're a Vancouver or just general MLS fan. In the Canadian Premier League, he's also played both for Pacific FC and Cavalry. And then last year, he played for Fazaka, so hopefully he's got some good information he can share with the coaching staff to help them beat their foes one more time. Tied for number three and assists with seven on the year is Emmanuel Embarga, Cameroonian national. And then tied for number one in clean sheets with eight on the year is their homegrown product, Am Odom. 
Team's current form. Well, they just beat number four, Boeing Ket, two to one. And that's Matt. That snapped a four-match losing streak. Yeah, this was the team that was in shape to win the whole shebang, and they've let it become a race somehow. And now Visaka, they play out of the capital city of Phnom Penh, one of five teams, I believe, that play from the city, so pretty much half the league. They play out of Prince Stadium, which is easily the biggest one in the city, but not all the Phnom Penh teams play there for some reason. It holds 15,000 people. If you uh, follow Asian football, you'll be able to see the stadium uh, on TV or the internet. They're going to host the 2023 Southeast Asian Games here. The club is a young one, founded in 2016, and they are known as the Blue Horse. They've made two AFC Cup appearances, both in the last couple of years. This year, they finished in second place in a three-way tie for the group stage title, but did not end up advancing. They won their nation's FA Cup three and two years ago, and they won the Cambodian Second Division League in 2017. So they have come upon their successes very quickly. must have a rich owner. Last year, they finished in third place in the league. This year, very well balanced. Uh, Top three offense, top two defense, tied for number one overall in goal differential. Number four score is theirs. He's done it 14 times. That is Brazilian forward Paulo Victor. And then tied for number three in assists is homegrown Lee Jang-gun. Actually, I'm not sure if he's homegrown. I think he might be some South Korea. In any case, he plays forward. Team's current form, they just lost 2-3 to three on the road to Phnom Penh Crown, and that snapped a four-match win streak for them. Match number seven. You get Monday off, New Bites, a well-deserved respite. And then back into the heat of the battle, we go for a World Cup Round 16 action. Morocco versus Spain Tuesday, 10 o'clock in the morning on Fox. Morocco, they are listed first because they actually won their group. Ooh, Bit of a surprise. Spain finished second place in their group. Not the way things were expected to go. Morocco, they are known as the Atlas Lions. Uh, you know how we feel about Lions, longtime listeners. You're throwing the Atlas in there. We're, we're down with the geographical reference a little bit. We'll get back to you. This is the number 22 ranked team worldwide by FIFA. And uh, the second best of all the teams that got here from the African Confederation, uh, they uh, finished behind Senegal in the seeding. They are the first ever African team to be ranked in the FIFA Top 10. That was back in 1998. 2018, they made the World Cup and went winless in the group stage. And that was their first appearance in this event since 1998. In four total previous appearances, their best finish was in 1986 when they made the round of 16. So they have equaled that already. They've won the AFCON title, that's the African Championship for national teams, all the way back in 1976. Makes it a little hard for me to really put my head around the idea that they're one of the best teams in Africa if they're not winning those titles. But they have made the quarterfinals two of the last three years. They qualified for this event by winning the second round group of four, going 6-0-0 with a 20-1 and goal differential. That qualified them for the third round, which is a, a single playoff round, well, a two-legged tie, and they beat Democratic Republic account of 2-5, and that's what actually put them in the World Cup. Tied for second best in event scoring was Ayub El Kabi. He scored five times as forward for Hatay Spore in the event. They are captained by Roman Saiz. 
He is a French defensive man. He plays some midfield. He played six seasons for Wolverhampton, was with them when they won the championship and got promoted to the Premier League. And then he was with them a little bit, even beyond that. He just joined Besiktas here for the 2022-2023 season in Turkey. He's made nearly 70 national team appearances going back a decade. Now, I say it's a surprise that Morocco run their group. They are seeded far enough down that they were actually drawn out of pot three. Meaning on paper, this is a team that should have finished in third place and not even advanced to the knockout stage, let alone having won their group, which they did by two points over Croatia, going 2-1-0 with a 4-1 goal differential. Team's current form, they are 4-1-0 in their last five, heading into the World Cup between friendlies and AFCON qualifiers for the 2023 iteration coming up. And now the Red Fury of Spain, ranked number seven by FIFA, your heavy favorites here, even though they did not win their group. And they came in as the fourth best seeded team of the 13 European teams here in the event. They were the first European club to ever win a World World Cup held outside of Europe. That was in 2010. What was now that was news to me, but what is really surprising to see is that is the only World Cup they've ever won. That I had no idea on. As far as the European Championships, they've made the uh, they've actually won the title three times. Twice was in 2008 and 2012. In those four years, uh, the side they more or less had, the nucleus, was considered maybe the best team of all time in world history. Wow, I'm sure there are people from areas out Spain, outside Spain that might argue that, but winning two World Cups makes it hard to do so with too much credibility. 2020, they made the semifinals. In the Nations League, they won their group in League A this year. They qualified for this event by winning their qualification group in Europe by four points over Sweden, going 6-1-1 with a 15-5 goal differential. Tied for number one in that group's event scoring with four was Ferran Torres, a forward, 22 years old, plays for Barcelona. He's also been with Man City and then also Valencia in La Liga. He's made 34 national team caps since 2020. If you're watching... Be sure to look for him along the touchlines. He might start in the center a lot. He's capable of playing there, but he really likes to run to the touchlines. He's two-footed, and he can go around a lot of guys easily from there. And they are captained by Sergio Busquets, a defensive midfielder, 34 years old, and from what I've read, perhaps the most underrated midfielder of his generation. Plays for Barcelona, as he always has. He came up with them as a youth, has spent his entire senior Uh, career there. He's made well over 450 club appearances, 142 national team appearances as well. He's been playing with them for 13 years. He's considered one of the best holding midfielders of all time. He's the guy that bails them out with a lot of interceptions when things aren't going their way, like if the other team is on a counterattack, for example. He's not particularly fast, but his understanding of the game is so good that positionally he just always has himself in the right place. They qualify here for the knockout stage by finishing second best in their group, ahead of Germany by five on goal differential. They went 1-1-1 with a 9-3 goal differential. Most of those goals were scored against Costa Rica, but Germany really can't blame that. They they put up a four spot on Costa Rica themselves as well. Match number eight. We stay on Tuesday, but move our focus away from the greatest of soccer events, the World Cup, to one of the greatest club events, the English FA Cup, where they have reached the second round. They actually did so last week, but any of the matches that end in ties in this event 
at least the first time they play, the two teams will switch who played home and away, and they'll play each other again. Now, if that ends in a draw, they will decide things with a penalty kick shootout. So this is sort of the replay week, an off week for most of the teams still alive in the FA Cup. Last week, we lost our Tier 7 adoptee, Alva Church, and so now we not. Now we adopt a new team here in the replay round. Gillingham will be taking on our adoptee, Dagenham and Redbridge, one of the lowest tiered league teams left alive. Uh, They tied at 1-1 when they played at Dagenham and Redbridge, so now they'll play at Gillingham's place. The draw has already happened for the third round. The winner will get to host Leicester City from the Premier League. The Premier League teams are the only ones who have not yet had to enter the competition. Gillingham, we'll talk about them first. They are the only English football league team, that's tier two through four, from Kent. The only professional league, by the way, through EFL, our fully professional one in national scope is the National League, the tier five league. Uh, This team, Gillingham, uh, the city is in the southeast part of the country, about 100,000. It's part of what's known as the Medway Conurbation. They've got a fairly diversified economy now, but what they've been famous for in the past is the Chatham Dockyard, a really major one, but it's not such a big employer now that there's also not a naval base there coexisting with it. This team plays in the fourth tier, that is League Two, fully professional. They won that league in uh, 2012-13. 2000 through 2005 was their peak club experience. They got to spend those years in the EFL Championship, the second tier in England. In round one of this event, they beat a tier six side in AFC. I don't know if it's field or filed, F-Y-L-D-E. They had to do that on a replay, 1-0. In the current league season here in League Two, they're not doing so well. I think they're going to end up in the National League. They're in 23rd place out of 24 so far, as they're about at the halfway point. Uh, They've had the worst offense by a landslide, one of the worst I've ever seen in a professional league. They've only scored six goals in 19 matches. Uh, Their defense is almost average. They give up just over a goal per game, but that's not enough to buoy them even on goal differential. They're in 23rd place in that regard. Last year, they got relegated from League One, and this might be one of those rare instances where a team faces two relegations in a row. might be some sort of financial issues. Best player they have, in my opinion, is Sean Williams. He's an Irishman, plays center midfield for them, 36 years old. Now, no goals, no assists on the year. And to be perfectly honest, he's not that great a passer, uh, but he does do well defensively. He has more than one clearance per game on average. That doesn't sound all that great, but hey, he's the best they've got. Team's current form, they are 0-1-2 in their last three matches. And just as a quick side note, their team, they've got a supporters group or group of people that puts out a fanzine, now a webzine, it used to be on paper, called Brian Morris Head Looks Uncannily Like London Planetarium. Yes, that's the full title of it. And by the way, Brian Morris is a late, great uh, football commentator from over there in England. And now Dagen, uh Dagenham and Redbridge, known as the Daggers. In 1992, two separate teams from those two towns formed to become one. Uh, They spent a year all the way up in League One, the third tier, but then they got relegated back uh, within a couple of years to uh, non-EFL play, and so they've been outside of that group since 2016. The city of Dagenham, out of which they now play, it's part of the greater London area. They're about 10 miles northeast of the edge of the city proper, about 100,000 people. Uh, There is a big Ford factory here that used to employ about 40,000 people, but uh, Ford has since moved on to other parts of Europe where it's a little cheaper. So now at the factory, it only employs a tenth of the people that used to, but now they make 
wind turbines, turbines. So, you know, pretty nice reuse of the space there, getting some green energy going. And music fans, uh, yes, Dagenham in the early 1970s. You've got to be even a little bit older than me to maybe remember this. But the Roundhouse of East London was the premier uh, rock and roll place to go see all kinds of famous groups. So that's one of the claims to fame here. This team is high enough in the English pyramid that they got to enter at the fourth qualifying round. I said there were six earlier, and that's true, but they uh, they have a weird numbering system, so just trust me on this. They enter at the uh, fourth qualifying round, the last one. They beat Tier 8 side Beckenham Town, nil 7 on the road. In the first round proper, they beat a fellow uh, Tier 5 team, or not fellow Tier 5, they're one level above that, but they beat no, they're in Tier 5. That's what I'm meaning. My goodness, I'm getting all confused. It's Gillingham that's Tier 4. They play in the National League with Maidenhead United and beat them nil one And yes, that is the same league that uh, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney's, uh team plays for. You might have seen the uh, kind of uh, documenting narrative series, uh, Welcome to Wrexham, that's uh, been streaming, I believe, on Hulu for a while. Currently, they're in ninth place in their league. Uh, their defense... Not impressive, to be perfectly honest. They're tied for 17th in that regard, giving them up almost two goals per match. Now, they get almost two goals per match, so their goal differential is pretty even. They're average for this league. So they're having a better season, but they're from a weaker league. Team scoring leader for them with eight on the year is Junior Marias, plays center forward for them. Uh, Scottish fans may remember him as he played for St. Mirren over there. Team's current form, they have won three straight league matches. Match number nine. You know, all this jet setting around the world can get a little, well, exhausting, quite frankly, after a while. What do you say we spend the night right here in the UK, wake up refreshed for some women's Footy action. Yes, the Champions League is going on for the ladies, and we're going to have a London area game. Now, here's how things are formatted for the group stage. The remaining teams have been divided into groups of four. They're going to play a double round robin home and away against each of their opponents, and the top two will advance to the knockout stage when all is said and done. This is going to be the fourth game for each of these two teams. And again, number one, Arsenal playing host to who? The ladies from Turin, number B, Juventus in their group. When they played earlier in the group stage, it was Juventus uh, managing a draw 1-1. So right now, Arsenal lead Juve by two. Juve, in turn, talk about your group of death, they lead third place Lyon by one. That would really be something if Lyon weren't a team that was getting out of even the group stage here in the Champions League. Arsenal, they are considered to be the number seven ranked team in Europe And they are the most successful in English history They won the Champions League back in 2006-07 Last year lost to Wolfsburg in the quarterfinals of this event Now they do not get to play, unfortunately, in my opinion Where the uh, men's team does And uh, this is fairly common both in England and other parts of the world Uh, This team has uh, sort of been sent out to a place called Borum Wood It's about 12 miles from London proper Uh, Meadowood, it's a very nice stadium it's, got a, it's the main host for Borum Wood FC, uh, which is a Tier 5 team. We talked about the English Pyramid earlier. Only seats 1,700, total capacity about 4,500. Arsenal qualified for this event by finishing in second place in the top flight in England last year, the Women's Super League. And so they entered this event in the second qualifying round, which was the second and last qualifying round. 
Uh, in the group stage, they've got the number one offense going by lots. They're managing three goals per match, have a top two defense to go along with that. They uh, should get win this group, given that Leon has had trouble so far. In the uh, current league season, they are in second place. Number one offense, they're getting two and a half goals per match. And the number one defense, they've only given up four in the seven matches so far. Key players to look for. Number three in assists in the league with four of those, right winger Beth Mead, homegrown product. Uh, she's also got three goals, and she's number one in the league on goals plus assists. 50 national team appearances she's also got under her belt. This is a name that we have talked about before. Tied for number four in league scoring with four is Stina Blackstenius, or it might be Steina, I'm not sure. She's from Sweden and plays striker for them. And then they've got a gal who I would call tied for the number one goalkeeper in the league. She's already got five clean sheets, and that is Austrian international Manuela Zinsberger. Uh, she spent several years at Bayern Munich before coming over here, which is interesting because Bayern Munich is tougher than ever these days. And we've got a USA connection here. One of their backup goalkeepers is Kaylin uh, Marquesi, I'm going to pronounce. It might be Marquise. Uh, she was with uh, Gotham FC in 2019. Didn't make any appearances, though, there. Must have been a backup or injured. Team's current form, they won eight straight before their loss to number three Man United recently and, of course, uh, the Juventus draw. Now, Juventus, very young club, founded in 2017, and yet uh, they have come on like a house of fire. They have won all five league titles since coming into existence. Last year, they got as far as the quarterfinals, and that was the best that they have ever done in the Champions League. Uh, they, of course, qualified for this event by, you know, as uh, by virtue of being champions. But the Italian league is not considered quite as good as some of the other major European leagues. This team had to enter all the way back in the first qualifying round. So the champions, some of the bigger leagues didn't have to play any qualifying rounds. So in that, uh, they beat uh, HB uh, Koge from Denmark in the second qualifying round to advance to the group stage. Uh, they've got the number three offense going and second best defense. So they're well balanced, to be perfectly honest. I'm sure you've been able to pick this up a little bit between talking about Arsenal and talking about Lyon. This is not one of my favorites to get out of the group stage, even though they've been dominating uh, Italy. Uh, currently, they're in second place in their league, six behind Roma. So they've got two dominant powers over there these days. In league play, they've been doing pretty well. Uh, you know, they've got a second-best offense and defense, well-balanced, two and a half goals per match. Tied for number one in league scoring with seven is Christiana uh, Girelli, plays center forward for them. 74 national team appearances, 43 goals, scoring more than one every other match. That's incredible. Teams current form, they are unbeaten in their last five, but their last two have merely been draws. And match number 10, we're done. Finally! After that many preview, you know, I'm kind of in the mood for Italian. Calcio, that is. And so let's head off to Italy and check out a match in their second division, the Serie B, where the top two teams will get promoted to the end of the season to Serie A. And the next six teams will all get to participate in a promotion playoff tournament at the end of the regular season to determine one more team that will get the honor of going back up to the big leagues. One we're going to look at, number B, Regina, taking on number one, Frozenone. Frozenone currently lead Regina by five. Regina in turn, they lead number three, Genoa, that just got relegated down to this league last year by three points. 
The series between these two the last couple of years been very even. Uh, Regina with a slight advantage with a 3-2-2 two, and two record. Regina, that is the largest city in the Calabria region. It's got about 200,000 people. Now, if you're not familiar, like I really wasn't with some of the specifics of Italian geography, it's the to- Calabria is the toe of the boot. One of the things that's famous for, I just love this, is there's an orange-like fruit that is called that is grown there called the bergamot. And I think this is one of, if not the only place in the world where this is grown. I could be wrong on that, but that's what I read. Um, I know that I have seen that word come up in various sauces, maybe even one that we covered with one of our culture breaks where we did a recipe on this show. But it turns out it's actually used uh, more for perfume making. Kind of interesting. Lots of agriculture still in this city. Despite the city size, that is the primary uh, driver of the economy down there. They are known as the Amaranth or the Red. That's a really cool. Normally, I'm not a big fan of uh, teams' nicknames just being a color, but that's a really specific shade and a lovely word. I like it. Last year, this team finished uh, just a little bit below average in this league, 14th place. I've got a lot of teams in the second division. They were formerly known as Regina Calcio, but they declared bankruptcy in 2015. And when they reorganized and re-entered, probably, uh, yeah, the following year, they had to enter all the way back in at Serie A D, the fourth division. Uh, They were known as ASD Reggio Calabria in that next season, 2015-16. Uh, prior to that, they had been known as, and I don't know what this means, Herbs Regina, U-R-B-S, Herbs Regina 1914, from 2016 to 2019. 1999 through 2009, they spent several of those seasons in Serie A. That's been their best run in uh, modern times. This year in league play, they've got the best offense going, scoring almost two goals per match. They've got the number one goal differential, so that makes it my favorite to win the league. But there's a lot of season left to play. They're about halfway through. Team scoring leader for them with four on the year is Luigi Conato, right winger. He's also got a couple of assists. Now, I am not sure. Well, first of all, I'm not sure how easy it would be to find an internet stream of this online for you to watch, at least here uh, stateside like I am. But I'm not sure we're actually going to get to watch him play. I know in England that if you've got a player that's on loan from somebody else, that uh, that player who's on loan cannot play against his parent team. And Kanato is on loan from Frozenone, interestingly. So we'll find out. I'll check the lineup after the fact. Also with four goals on the year, Giovanni Fabian for this team. Central midfielder, just 19 years old. And if you're wondering if he'll make a move at some point, yeah, probably. He's here on loan from uh, Inter Milan, one of the big Serie A teams. But I think their best player is probably Gianluca Di Chiara, from what I've read. They're left back. He's got three assists on the year, so he can really get up the field. And he's got loads of interceptions, and he's a very accurate passer. Teams current form, they are 2-2-0 in their last four. And they will be welcoming Frozenone, which is a city that's about 45 miles southeast of Rome, about 50,000 people there. And they are known as the Canaries. If memory serves, this is not named specifically for Canary Yellow, or at least not a predominant color in their crest. Uh, their mascot, unfortunately, in my opinion, is Lilo the Lion. Ugh. These lions, I tell you, just so many. They've been in Serie A twice for one time, for just one season each time in the last uh, 
you know, several years this century, basically. So they're really uh, more of a Serie B caliber team. It'll be interesting to see if they get promoted, if they can actually stay up for a change. Last year, they finished in ninth place, so just out of even the uh, promotion playoffs. They've only had one draw so far, so they've got two more wins than Regina or anywhere or anywhere else. They're kind of feast or famine on the field, it seems like. Uh, their uh, offense is pretty good. They're not getting quite a goal and a half per game. This isn't the highest scoring league in the world, to be honest. But they've got the number one defense by a ton. They're the only one giving up in the vicinity of only one goal every other match. And that's good overall for the second best goal differential. So I really think that these two teams should have the staying power uh, to be there at the end and get promoted. Uh, team scoring leader for them, also with four goals, is Samuele Mulateri, striker, 22 years old. He's on loan here from an Italian Serie A club. I believe one that just got promoted. Take that with a grain of salt, though, as well. I know they're not one of the stronger ones, uh, Spezia. But the best player they have going, I think, is a different Luca. Luca Mazzatelli, central midfielder, one goal, two assists on the year. To be honest, he's not the most accurate passer for his position, but he does get the – it's almost like he should be playing on the wing. He really excels on dribbling, but he also tracks back well on defense, and so that is a guy that maybe you do want in the center of the field. And he's on the, he's on loan here from a Serie A club as well, one that I know was just promoted last year called Monza because I was completely unfamiliar with them previously. Team's current form, well, they just had a draw against Cagliari, a team that just got relegated last year, and that broke for them a six-match winning streak. That wraps up our 10 main matches for the podcast, but before we get into our final three bonus matches, but normally around match number eight, we go ahead and take what I traditionally call a culture break. Occasionally we talk architecture, folklore, myth, religion, but usually it's food to be perfectly honest. But this week, since we had a couple other segments, I wasn't going to do a food related one, but I've taken a time out, done a little bit of research and I want to get, I wanted to get back to people about the bergamot thing that I uh, referenced in the last mini preview. I decided to look around for a recipe involving it and learn just a tiny bit more about the fruit. Now, one of the things I learned is that it is not, and I sort of guessed this, exclusively grown in the Calabria area, but that is where it seems to have its origin, and it is certainly the only true seacoast area where it is uh, grown. But there are a lot of Mediterranean countries that do do some production. The lion's share of it is here, however, and usually this is not a fruit. Well, you certainly don't eat it by itself. It's a cross between a lemon and an orange, more or less, it's thought by botanists, and it is incredibly bitter. What you end up using is essential oils, like uh, from the, the zest or the underside of the peel. Those are what go into, uh, I think, perfumes, and that is your signature taste in Earl Grey tea, in fact, where the bitterness is somewhat welcome. But it is possible to find other recipes that involve bergamot oranges, but I did find one, and it's for a type of cookie that simply sounds delightful. Now, you're going to cook these cookies at about 350 degrees. I'm not going to give you a whole ingredient list for it. We'll just kind of cover that as we go. Your flour or cornstarch, or the recipe that I saw, uh, the person actually preferred potato starch for these cookies and salt. You mix those together in a bowl, and she encourages one to go a little heavy on the starch and a little light on the flour. Um, in a separate bowl, uh, using like if you have something electric, a paddle attachment, it'll help you get the correct kind of fluffiness and creaminess. Uh, you want to beat 
the butter and the powdered sugar, again, until you get that fluffy and creamy mix. Then you mix in the bergamot zest, the bergamot juice, and you're gonna use vanilla extract. Mix in the dry ingredients until the dough all comes together. Roll them into little logs and slice them into one inch long pieces. Put those about an inch apart on a non-stick cookie sheet or on parchment paper. These only take uh, under 20 minutes to bake, but you wanna really keep an eye on them because if you burn these cookies in the slightest on the bottom, that's gonna take away the fragrance and it's more or less gonna do away with the citrusy flavor that isn't quite as bitter. So cook them just until the tops are pale. One other uh, recommendation that this particular uh, person had written about, uh, she has uh, just standard cookie sheets like you would buy uh, anywhere. Uh, any you know, standard uh, kitchen goods store that are somewhat uh, thinner, which you're used to seeing. But she also went ahead and splurged once on a professional cookie baking sheet, which is much, much thinner, and you're much less likely to get that burn. You'll still want to keep an eye on it. So what she recommends is cook these on two cooking sheets, and that way you can keep from burning them. Now, what she likes to do with the powdered sugar almost right after the baking is... Uh, to put the powder to put the sugar on right then that's what i'm trying to get to uh, it gives it more of a silky effect instead of a creamy effect because it gets right together and absorbs some of the melted butter but if you per prefer the texture or simply the aesthetic and the look of it if you want to present these keeping it white and keeping it snowy wait until the cookies are almost cooled all the way down before rolling them in the powdered sugar. Note that this does not replace the powdered sugar that you used in the actual mixing process we discussed. So, a little bit belated, but there is your food slash culture break for the episode. Bring forth the bonus matches. Truly, perhaps my favorite part of the show in large part because you, the listener, have had a chance to help decide what the content was going to be. Every week on Twitter, early on, usually Monday or Tuesday, at Soccer Noob USA, I put up polls with the candidate matches. You vote, and this is exactly what happens. Our first one is a first versus last place matchup that we dramatically call the route, 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 route of, 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 of the week, 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 week. And for the second week in a row, although it wasn't a bonus match last week, we're headed to the Cypriot First Division, the country of Cyprus in the Mediterranean. It's the 22nd ranked league in all of Europe. That's pretty good. They get two teams into the Champions League, although neither one gets to start in the group stage. And then there are two teams that go to the tertiary Europa Conference League. They don't have to start all the way back at the first qualifying round. On the other end of the spectrum, two teams will get relegated down to the second division at the end of the year. Your matchup, still number one at Paphos FC, taking on number 14, Olympiakos Nicosia, I believe. It's not Nicosia, Nicosia. Pretty sure I'm getting that right. Uh, Paphos, they currently lead second best Apoel now by three. Meanwhile, uh, Olympiakos, they trail number 12. That's the first team that's not currently in the relegation zone. Doxa Catacopia by two. The series between these two is a bit more even than you would expect. In fact, you'll be surprised, as I was probably, to know that it's Olympiakos that are the leader. They have a 6-7-4 and four record in recent years against Paphos. Paphos, spell it with an F in the middle, comes from Paphos, which you would spell correctly with a PH in the middle. It's in the southwest part of the country, city of about 60,000. It's a small country, so it's only 30 miles west of Limassol. 
Uh, tourism is big here, pretty much four giant resorts and a little bit of port work are what keep things going. This club is a young one, founded in 2014, although really it's a merger of the city's two previous biggest clubs. I pointed out the crest last week, but I want to mention it again just because it's so interesting. Uh, Evagoras Polycaritis. Uh, he was a young Greek Cypriot poet that was executed by the British during rebellious times in the late 1950s. And uh, there's actually still a lot of bad, bad blood between the two countries precisely for that. Not the only reason, but really one of the biggest reasons. And uh, he has become a symbol of eternal youth for the country, as well as obviously, you know, their independence from uh, Britain and anyone else who might try to come their way. The team, they came up twice to Division One, most recently in 2016-17. Last year, they did play in the top division, and you would have been more likely to find them in our second bonus match, which we'll get to in a bit, as they finished in sixth place. So far this year, they're undefeated. They've got the number one offense going, getting over two goals per match. The defense isn't the best in the league, but they give up uh, less than a half a goal a game on average. So it's uh, it's good enough. This is a tough team. Number one scoring leader for them with eight on the year is their Brazilian singularly named player. Uh, I still don't know if it's a, a Spanish H or a Portuguese H, uh, Jairo or Jairo, J-A-I-R-O. Anyway, they got him from Hajduk Split over in Croatia, a little bit of a bigger league, so a nice coup for them. Team's current form, they had won seven straight before last week's 2-2 draw with then second place, Eris Limassol. Meanwhile, on the other end of the table, we have Olympiacos. I've got to love crests like this because this club, they have or have had in the past, amongst other things like an orchestra, I believe a chess team. You'll find a lot of clubs throughout the world that do a lot more than one sport or even you know go beyond sports entirely. But I've never seen a club that I've known that had a camping division. And for some reason, the soccer team really wants to pay respect to that because the major port of their, portion of their crest, about two-thirds of it, is devoted to a sketch of a camping tent. Kind of interesting. This is a team that had a lot of financial issues uh, moving on from the early 2000s. They're the smallest of the three teams that play out of this city. Big reason for that. Uh, traditionally, the fans were uh, in the city center. So this is a team that's got something of an aging population and a shrinking population as uh, there's a lot of flight out to the outer parts of the city. They've won the league title three times, but not even in my lifetime. 1970-71 was the last time. They've only got one win on the year. Uh, I would love to pick out one bugaboo for them, but you really can't. The offense is near the bottom. They only get two-thirds of a goal on average, and they're the only team in the league that's giving up more than two goals per game. Team scoring leader for them is uh, Wilde or Wild hyphen Donald uh, Garrier. I'm going to pronounce it G-U-E-R-R-I-E-R from Haiti. So we've got a little bit of a CONCACAF connection here. 33-year-old midfielder with 48 national team uh, appearances back in the Caribbean. Biggest club I believe he's played for is probably the big one in uh, Azerbaijan, Karabag, in his career. Team's current form, they've lost two straight, didn't put up a goal in either of them, and they gave up six. Ouch. Could you be the most meaningless match in the world? Yes, you could. You're so boring. <laughs> 
two teams smack dab in the middle of their table, more or less always equidistant from the joy and celebration that would be gotten from an international tournament berth and from the very bottom of the table where they might face the cruel fate of getting kicked out of their league. Relegated, yes, this is the most meaningless match in the world. These teams really don't have to worry about that more than likely. The one you have voted for is a Saturday match from the South African enclaved country of Lesotho, their Premier League. It's not it's not ranked by the African Football Confederation. They only bother to rank about the top 40% of the leagues in that country. The teams from Lesotho, they're probably not particularly strong, but more importantly, they don't get enough international play for them to really earn a meaningful ranking. Nevertheless, we follow the footy wherever it is. And this is a small country. The whole country doesn't even have quite probably two and a half million people. They're almost halfway through their season. The champion does get to go to the Champions League. Three of the teams are going to be relegated. Your matchup of teams that probably don't need to worry about it. Number seven, Machokka. And number five, Lijabatho. Lijabatho currently lead uh, Machoka by two and trail number one, Bantu, by eight points. But there's a lot of teams for them to leapfrog. Conversely, you have uh, Machoka. They lead number 14, Lifofane, by 12 points. And that is the team that is the best of the ones that are currently in the relegation zone in the league. I don't have a lot for you on either of these two particular teams, but it's a good chance for at least to acknowledge that the league exists and learn what we can. Uh, Machoka, like a lot of the teams, plays out of the capital city of Meseru. The club name means alone in the uh, local Nyanja language. So uh, sort of along the lines of united, but united and by ourselves kind of a feel, I think. Last year, they won the Southern League, which is one of the two leagues of the Division II level, and then they were the grand champions, hence the reason that they were one of the teams that got to move up. They beat the Northern champion in the title game. This year, they have the uh, seventh best offense going in the top flight of Lesotho, getting just a little bit over one goal per match. The defense, not nearly as strong. They give up one and a quarter. It's a moderately high-scoring lead. Uh, All told, they've got a pretty average goal differential. Their defense, by the way, is a lot worse than the clubs that are right around them. So I think that this is a team that is going to be dipping down, not climbing up, to be perfectly honest. Their current form, well, they've lost two straight matches by a very uh, embarrassing one against eight goal differential. And then we have Lijabatho. They play out of the city of Morija, which is in the west central part of the country, about 10,000 people there. It's maybe 20 miles south of the capital city of Maseru. It's a big cultural and educational site. There's a couple of very large, important museums there, including one that is devoted very specifically to the preservation of historical documents of the country. So it's a really interesting place. They finished in seventh place last year. This year, they're very balanced on offense and defense. This is a team that I think could climb just a little bit higher, if not much. They've got a, uh, they give up, uh, they give up a little bit over a half goal every other match is all, but they get over one and a quarter goals. So they're better than their opponents today in that regard. They've got the fourth best overall goal differential. Team Ford, they are two, one and oh in their last three. And as always, we will not end with notes of happiness or joy, nay, but with wailing and gnashing of teeth. Welcome to the fresh hell that is your match of... Disappointed!
And the two last place teams that we're going to look at, you selected a match from Sunday from Azerbaijan's Premier League, which is ranked number 29 in all of UEFA. They'll send a team to the Champions League first qualifying round, a couple others to the Europa Conference League, and these two sad sacks won't get a sniff. Now, conflicting sources I found, I'm unsure if the last place club from this league is actually even going to get relegated or not this year because they just expanded from eight to 10 teams. Nevertheless, you don't want to finish in last place, whether you're getting relegated or not, but your best two candidates for that are number nine, Kapaz, and number 10, Sumkayet. Sumkayet currently trail Kapaz by four, and they trail uh, Kapaz, trail number eight, Sabail by seven on just goal differential. So it seems like Sumkayet's fate is somewhat sealed, but not so for Kapaz necessarily. They might be able to climb another spot or two. The last time these two plays, Neither one of them managed a goal. Very disappointing on the eyes. Nil-nil at Sumkayat. As far as the series, Sumkayat have had the better of it in recent seasons, accruing 8-8-5 record. They play out of a city that looks like it should be pronounced Ganja. That would be less disappointing, but it's actually pronounced Jinja. It's the third biggest city in the country, about 350,000, and is famous for the various garments and other things that can be made from Jinja silk. They are known as the Mountaineers. Strangely, last year they were either in 6th or 7th place in Division 2, but as I said, the the league, the top league got expanded, and this team was promoted. Part of the reason for that is that all but two of the teams that finished above them in the table were reserve teams of teams already in the top flight. They are not eligible to play in the top league. The other two that above them have decided to remain in the second division for financial reasons. So Kapaz are here and they are very much in over their head. They've been struggling uh, financially since 2002. They even got kicked out of the league for a couple of years by the FA. Didn't play at all, I don't think, from between uh, 2007 and 2009. They should be able to try to uh, earn some money if they can put butts in all these seats. The Jinja City Stadium actually has a capacity of 26,000. It's over twice as big as the league's next biggest stadium. They've won three league titles, but those were all back in the 1990s. They've made the European competitions a couple of times, have a 2-1-11 and 11 record there, so they've never made any real noise. Statistically this year, the offense is only a little bit below average. They're not quite scoring a a goal per match, but the defense is the worst by lots. Absolute wolf city. They give up two on the dot per match, and they've got the worst goal differential going. The one player they have that stinks a little bit less than some of the others, perhaps on the scoring leaderboard for them with four on the season, is Abdullahi Shuaibu. I think that's it. He's from Nigeria, midfielder, just 20 years old. Uh, such a young lad. Plenty of time to try to get to a better team. Help yourself out, son. Team's current form, 0-2-1 in their last three. And now also catching the business from us, the visitors, Sumkayet. That is also the second biggest city in the country. Really not much of any bigger than where the Mountaineers are from, about 350,000. They're in the east, really near, but not quite on the coast, I don't think, of the Caspian Sea. It's basically a suburb of the capital city of Baku. They've got an interesting mascot. I'll give them that. They are known as the Chemists. They were founded in 2010. Really interesting history for them. They actually started their first year, maybe two or three years, mostly playing players from the national team, youth sides. The U19 and the under-17 teams were the ones who were playing there. And they got promoted in their very first season, so it worked. 
not so well, whatever they're doing now. And just an interesting side note, because of the country's uh, history with the nation of Iran, this club actually has an affiliation with Tractor Satsi of the Iranian top flight. They've been to the Europa League once and the Europa Conference League once since it started up just a couple of years ago. All within the last two to three years, they haven't gotten a single win for their trouble, though. Last year, they finished in sixth place. This year, they have uh, six draws, which is better than nothing, but nothing represents the exact number of wins that they have on the year. Worst offense by far. It's not uncommon for them to go scoreless for two or three matches at a time. Uh, The defense is in the bottom three of the league. They give up over a goal and a half. Team scoring leader for them, this is how bad the offense is. He is the only player with multiple goals, I believe, on the year. Almir, (laughs) I should have practiced this one, Aganspich, I think, He's from Bosnia and Herzegovina in any case. Teams current form, uh, two draws in their last three. So maybe a little bit of hope for these guys who are at the very, very bottom trying to get up for any oxygen at all. And their last one was a a fairly decent scalp as draws go. It was against number five, Kabbalah. Nevertheless, that is just not good enough to earn our respect or favor. And so as as tradition on this podcast, instead of wishing them good luck and good fortune, we will whisk them away in our usual heckling fashion. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Get them away. Hey, boo. Boo. Waldorf Statler, thank you for cleaning up after us. And in fact, that is the end of Soccer Noob Rock in America, episode 112 featuring Persa Noob. Thank you very much to my daughter, Dearest, for all of her help. As always, mwah, love you so much. Appreciate you to take the time to help your old man out with this. Also, thank you to Dan, the former website Interno Inferno, for all of his creative efforts and inspirations. To he who is known as the management for all of his editing and production wizardry. To the holder of the Twitter account for CAPT, Matt Turner, for allowing us to have sort of lifted his idea. And also to my dad for voicing that particular character. That's lots of fun to try to write for my dad and see what kind of feedback I'm going to get. And thank you, most of all, to you for listening. We've worked hard to create something really different from a lot of other podcasts. We've been called a good change of pace podcast at the very least, and we hope that you have found us worthy to join us again and perhaps even pass us along to to your footy-minded friends. Until we can do it again in a few days, have a fantastic footy week. Take care.